Recently, a friend of mine took his son on a trip down the Colorado River through the Cataract Canyon located in southeastern Utah. The canyon is famous for its 14 miles of whitewater rapids that can be particularly hazardous. In preparation for their adventure, they had carefully reviewed the National Park Service website, which contains important information about personal preparedness and common hidden hazards. At the beginning of the trip, one of the experienced river guides reviewed important safety instructions, emphasizing three rules that would ensure the group's safe travel through the rapids. Rule number one, stay in the boat. Rule number two, always wear a life jacket. And rule number three, always hold on with both hands. He then again, with even more emphasis, above all, he said, remember the rule, stay in the boat. This adventure reminds me of our mortal journey. Most of us experience periods in our life where the tranquil waters of life are appreciated. At other times, we encounter whitewater rapids that are metaphorically like compared to those found in the 14-mile stretch through Cataract Canyon. Challenges that may include physical and mental health issues, the death of a loved one, dashed dreams and hopes, and for some, even the crisis of faith when faced with life's problems, questions, and doubts. The Lord, in His goodness, has provided help, including a boat, essential supplies such as life jackets and experienced river guides who give guidance and safety instructions to help us make our way down the river of life to our final destination. Let's think about rule number one, stay in the boat. President Brigham Young commonly employed the old ship Zion as a metaphor for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He said on one occasion, We are in the midst of the ocean. The storm comes on, and as sailors say, she labors very hard. I'm not going to stay here, says one. I don't believe this is the ship Zion. But we are in the midst of the ocean. I don't care. I'm not going to stay here. Off goes the coat, and he jumps overboard. Will he not be drowned? Yes. So with those who leave this church. It is the old ship Zion. Let us stay in it. On another occasion, President Young said that he was also worried about people losing their way when they were being blessed, when life was good. He said this, It is in calm weather when the old ship of Zion is sailing with a gentle breeze, and when all is quiet on deck, that some of the brethren want to go out in the whaling boats to have a swim. 
and some get drowned, others drifted away, and others again get back to the ship. Let us stick to the old ship, and she will carry us safely into the harbor. You need not be concerned. And finally, President Young reminded the saints, We are on the old ship Zion. God is at the helm and will stay there. All is right. Sing hallelujah, for the Lord is here. He dictates, guides, and directs. If the people will have implicit confidence in their God, never forsake their covenants nor their God, He will guide us right. Close quote. Given the challenges we all face today, how do we stay on the old ship Zion? Here's how. We need to experience a continuing conversion by increasing our faith in Jesus Christ and our faithfulness to His gospel throughout our lives. Not just once, but regularly, Alma said, And now behold, I say unto you, my brethren and sisters, if ye experience the change of heart and if ye have felt to sing the song of redeeming love, I would ask, can you feel so now? The experienced river guides today can be likened unto the Church's apostles and prophets and inspired local priesthood and auxiliary leaders. They help us arrive safely to our final destination. Recently, I spoke at a new Mission President seminar and counseled these leaders, keep the eyes of the mission on the leaders of the Church. We will not and cannot lead you astray. And as you teach your missionaries to focus their eyes on us, teach them to never follow those who think they know more about how to administer the affairs of the Church than Heavenly Father and the Lord Jesus Christ do through the priesthood leaders who have the keys to preside. I have discovered in my ministry that those who have become lost and confused are typically those who have most often forgotten that when the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve speak with a united voice, it is the voice of the Lord for that time. The Lord reminds us, whether by mine own voice or by the voice of mine servants, it is the same. In other words, they leave the old ship Zion, they fall away, they apostatize. Tragically, they often experience short-term and eventually long-term unintended consequences, not only for themselves but also for their families. Our local Church leaders, like seasoned river guides, have been tutored by life's experiences, have been trained by and mentored by apostles and prophets and other officers of the Church, and most importantly have been tutored by the Lord Himself. On another occasion this year, I spoke to the young adults of the Church in MACS devotional broadcast. I said, 
I've heard that some people think the church leaders live in a bubble. What they forget is that we are men and women of experience, and we have lived our lives in so many places and worked with so many people from different backgrounds. Our current assignments literally take us around the globe where we meet the political, religious, business, and humanitarian leaders of the world. Although we have visited leaders in the White House in Washington, D.C., and leaders of nations and religions throughout the world, we have also visited the most humble families and people on the earth. When you thoughtfully consider our lives and ministry, you'll most likely agree that we see and experience the world in ways that few will realize that we live and you will realize that we live in a not in a bubble but out of a bubble more so than most people there's something about the individual and combined wisdom of church leaders that should provide some comfort we've experienced it all including the consequences of different public laws and policies, disappointments, tragedies, and deaths in our own families. We're not out of touch, brothers and sisters, with your lives. Along with rule number one, as I've applied it, remember rules two and three. Always wear a life jacket and hold on with both hands. The words of the Lord are found in the scriptures and the teachings of the apostles and prophets. They provide us counsel and direction that, when followed, will act like a spiritual life jacket and will help us know how to hold on with both hands. We need to become like the sons of Mosiah, who wax strong in the knowledge of truth. We can become men and women of sound understanding. This can be accomplished only by searching the scriptures diligently that we might know the Word of God. In searching the scriptures and the words of past and current apostles and prophets, we should focus on studying, living, and loving the doctrine of Christ. In addition to developing the habit of personal scriptures, we need to be like the sons of Mosiah and give ourselves to much prayer and fasting. It seems that these things which are not easily measured are of great importance. Stay focused on these simple things and avoid becoming distracted. As I have known people that have not stayed in the boat they have not held on with both hands, times of trials and troubles who, are not, who have not stayed in the boat during times of relatively calm. I have observed that many of them have lost their focus on the central truths of the gospel. The reasons why they joined the Church in the first place have slipped away from them. The reason they remained fully committed and active in living gospel standards and the blessings through dedicated, consecrated service and the ways in which the Church has been in their lives a place of spiritual nourishment and growth 
has slipped away. Joseph Smith taught this central truth. The fundamental principles of our religion are the testimony of the apostles and prophets concerning Jesus Christ, that He died, was buried, and rose again the third day, and ascended up into heaven, and all other things are only appendages to these which pertain to our religion. If we keep our focus on the Lord, we're promised a blessing beyond comparison. Wherefore, you must press forward with a steadfastness in Christ, having a perfect brightness of hope and a love of God and of all men. Wherefore, if ye shall press forward, feasting upon the word of Christ, and endure to the end, behold, thus saith the Father, ye shall have eternal life. Sometimes Latter-day Saints and sincere investigators begin to focus on the appendages instead of on the fundamental principles. That is, Satan tempts us to become distracted from the simple and clear message of the restored gospel. Those so distracted often give up partaking of the sacrament because they have become focused, even preoccupied, with less important practices or teachings. Others may focus on the questions and doubts they experience. Of course, having questions and experiencing doubts are not incongruent with dedicated discipleship. Recently, the Council of the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles stated, We understand that from time to time Church members will have questions about Church doctrine, history, or practice. Members are always free to ask such questions and earnestly seek greater understanding. Remember, Joseph Smith himself had questions that began the Restoration. He was a seeker and, like Abraham, found the answers to life's most important questions. The important questions focus on what matters most, Heavenly Father's plan and the Savior's atonement. Our Church should be led, lead us to become kind, loving, forgiving, patient, dedicated disciples. We must be willing, as Paul taught, to bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. To bear another's burdens includes helping, supporting, and understanding everyone, including the sick, infirm, the poor in spirit and body, the seeker and the troubled, and also other member disciples, including church leaders who have been called by the Lord to serve for a season. Brothers and sisters, stay in the boat. Use your life jackets. Hold on with both hands. Avoid distractions. And if any one of you have fallen out of the boat, we will seek you, find you, and minister to you, and pull you safely back onto the old ship Zion where God our Father 
and the Lord Jesus Christ are at the helm and will guide us right, to which I humbly pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. My brothers and sisters, we've experienced two glorious days of inspired messages. Our hearts have been touched and our faith strengthened as we have partaken of the Spirit which has been present during these conference sessions. As we conclude, we thank our Heavenly Father for His many blessings to us. We've been lifted and inspired by the beautiful music that has been provided during the sessions. The prayers which have been given have drawn us nearer to heaven. Now I express the heartfelt thanks of the entire Church to our brethren who have been released at this conference. We will miss them. Their contributions to the work of the Lord have been enormous and will be felt throughout generations to come. May we return to our home with a resolve in our hearts to be a little better than we have been in the past. May we be a little kinder and more thoughtful. May we reach out in helpfulness, not only to our fellow members, but also to those who are not of our faith. As we associate with them, may we show our respect for them. There are those who struggle every day with challenges. Let us extend to them our concern as well as a helping hand. As we care for each other, we will be blessed. May we remember the elderly and those who are homebound. As we take time to visit them, they will know that they are loved and valued. May we follow the mandate to succor the weak, lift up the hands which hang down, and strengthen the feeble knees. May we be people of honesty and integrity, trying to do the right thing at all times and in all circumstances. May we be faithful followers of Christ, examples of righteousness, thus becoming lights to the world. My brothers and sisters, I thank you for your prayers on my behalf. They strengthen me and lift me as I strive with all my heart and strength to do God's will and to serve Him and to serve you. As we leave this conference, I invoke the blessings of heaven upon each of you. May you who are away from your homes return to them safely and find all in order. May we all ponder the truths we have heard. May they help us to become even more valiant disciples than we were when the conference began. Until we meet again in six months' time, I ask the Lord's blessings to be upon you and indeed upon all of us. And I do so in His holy name, even Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. My message is directed specifically to individuals who are not members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I will address a fundamental question many of you may have. Why are Latter-day Saints so eager to tell me about what they believe and to invite me to learn about their Church? 
I pray the Spirit of the Lord will help me to communicate effectively and you to understand clearly my response to this important question. Devoted disciples of Jesus Christ always have been and always will be valiant missionaries. A missionary is a follower of Christ who testifies of Him as the Redeemer and proclaims the truths of His gospel. The Church of Jesus Christ always has been and always will be a missionary church. The individual members of the Savior's Church have accepted the solemn obligation to assist in fulfilling the divine commission given by the Lord to His Apostles, as recorded in the New Testament. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you alway, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Latter-day Saints take seriously this responsibility to teach all people in all nations about the Lord Jesus Christ and His restored gospel. We believe the same Church founded by the Savior anciently has been reestablished on the earth by Him in the latter days. The doctrine, principles, priesthood, authority, ordinances, and covenants of His gospel are found today in His Church. When we invite you to attend church with us or to learn with the full-time missionaries, we are not trying to sell you a product. As members of the Church, we do not receive prizes or bonus points in a heavenly contest. <laughs> we are not seeking simply to increase the numerical, numerical size of the Church. And most importantly, we are not attempting to coerce you to believe as we do. We are inviting you to hear the restored truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ so you can study, ponder, pray, and come to know for yourself if the things we are sharing with you are true. Some of you may respond, but I already believe in Jesus and follow His teachings, or I am not sure if God really exists. Our invitations to you are not an attempt to diminish your religious tradition or life experience. Bring all that you know is true, good, and praiseworthy, and test our message. Just as Jesus beckoned two of His disciples to come and see, so we urge you to come and see if the restored gospel of Jesus Christ enlarges and enriches that which you already believe to be true. Indeed, we feel a solemn responsibility to carry this message to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. And that is precisely what we are doing with a force today of more than 88,000 full-time missionaries laboring in over 150 sovereign states around the world. These remarkable men and women help the members of our Church fulfill the divinely appointed and individual responsibility each of us has to proclaim the everlasting gospel of Jesus Christ. But our eagerness to declare this message is not merely the result of a sense of spiritual duty. 
Rather, our desire to share the restored gospel of Jesus Christ with you is a reflection of how important these truths are to us. I believe I can best describe why we are so forthright in seeking to explain our beliefs to you through an experience my wife and I had many years ago with two of our sons. One evening, Susan and I stood near a window in our home and watched two of our little boys playing outside. During the course of their adventures, the younger of the two boys was injured slightly in a small accident. We quickly recognized that he was not seriously hurt, and we decided not to provide immediate assistance. We wanted to observe and see if any of our family discussions about brotherly kindness had sunk in. (laughs) What happened next was both interesting and instructive. The older brother consoled and carefully helped the younger brother back into the house. By this time, Susan and I had positioned ourselves near the kitchen so we could see what next took place, and we were prepared to intervene immediately if additional bodily harm seemed likely (laughs) or if a serious additional accident was imminent. The older brother dragged a chair to the kitchen sink. He climbed up on the chair, assisted his brother onto the chair, turned on the water, and proceeded to pour a very large quantity of dishwashing soap onto the scratched arm of his little brother. He did his best to gently wash away the dirt. The reaction of the little brother to this procedure can only be described accurately using language from the Holy Scriptures and they shall have cause to howl (laughs) and weep and wail and gnash their teeth. And, oh, brothers and sisters, did that little boy howl. After the scrubbing was finished, the arm was carefully dried with a towel. Eventually, the screaming stopped. The older brother next climbed up onto the kitchen counter, opened a cabinet, and found a new tube of medicated ointment. Though the scratches on his little brother were not large or extensive, the older brother applied almost all of the ointment in the tube (laughs) to the entire injured arm. The screaming did not resume, as the little brother clearly liked the soothing effect of the ointment much more than he appreciated the cleansing effect of the dishwashing soap. The older brother returned again to the cabinet in which he had found the ointment and located a new box of sterile bandages. He then unwrapped and put bandages all up and down his brother's arm, from the wrist to the elbow. With the emergency resolved and with ointment and wrappers and soap bubbles all over the kitchen, the two little boys hopped down from the chair with bright smiles and happy faces. Now, what happened next is most important. The injured brother gathered up the remaining bandages, the almost empty tube of ointment, and he went back outside. He quickly sought out his friends and began to put ointment and bandages on their arms. Susan and I were struck by the sincerity, the enthusiasm, and the rapidity of his response. 
Why did that little boy do what he did? Please note that he immediately and intuitively wanted to give to his friends the very thing that had helped him when he was hurt. That little boy did not have to be urged, challenged, prompted, goaded to act. His desire to share was the natural consequence of a most helpful and beneficial personal experience. Many of us as adults behave in precisely the same way. When we find a treatment or medication that alleviates pain with which we have long suffered, or we receive counsel that enables us to face challenges with courage and perplexities with patience, sharing with other people things that are most meaningful to us or have helped us is not unusual at all. This same pattern is especially evident in matters of great spiritual importance and consequence. For example, an account in a volume of scripture known as the Book of Mormon highlights a dream received by an ancient prophet leader named Lehi. The central feature in Lehi's dream is the Tree of Life, which is a representation of the love of God that is most desirable above all things and most joyous to the soul. Lehi explained, And it came to pass that I did go forth and partake of the fruit thereof, and I beheld that it was most sweet above all that I ever before tasted. Yea, and I beheld that the fruit thereof was white, to exceed all the whiteness that I had ever seen. And as I partook of the fruit thereof, it filled my soul with exceedingly great joy. Wherefore, I began to be desirous that my family should partake of it also. The greatest manifestation of God's love for His children is the mortal ministry, atoning sacrifice, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. The fruit on the tree can be considered a symbol for the blessings of the Savior's atonement. Lehi's instant response to partaking of the fruit of the tree and experiencing great joy was an increased desire to share with and serve his family. Thus, as he turned to Christ, he also turned outward in love and service. Another important episode in the Book of Mormon describes what happened to a man named Enos after his earnest and pleading prayer was heard and answered by God. He said, And my soul hungered, and I kneeled down before my Maker, and I cried unto Him in mighty prayer and supplication for mine own soul. And all the day long did I cry unto Him, yea, and when the night came, I did still raise my voice high, that it reached the heavens. And there came a voice unto me, saying, Enos, thy sins are forgiven thee, and thou shalt be blessed. And I, Enos, knew that God could not lie, wherefore my guilt was swept away. And I said, Lord, how is it done? And he said unto me, Because of thy faith in Christ, whom thou hast never before heard nor seen, wherefore go to thy faith hath made thee whole. Now it came to pass that when I had heard these words, I began to feel a desire for the welfare of my brethren, the Nephites. Wherefore, I did pour out my whole soul unto God for them. 
As Enos turned to the Lord with full purpose of heart, his concern for the welfare of his family, friends, and associates increased simultaneously. The enduring lesson we learn from these two episodes is the importance of experiencing in our personal lives the blessings of the Atonement of Jesus Christ as a prerequisite to heartfelt and authentic service that stretches far beyond merely going through the motions. Much like Lehi, Enos, and our little boy in the story I recounted, we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have felt the anguish associated with spiritual uncertainty and sin. We also have experienced the cleansing, the peace of conscience, the spiritual healing and renewal, and the guidance that are obtained only by learning and living the principles of the Savior's gospel. The Atonement of Jesus Christ provides the cleanser necessary to be made pure and clean, the soothing salve to heal spiritual wounds and remove guilt, and the protection that enables us to be faithful in times both good and bad. To you family members and friends who are not members of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I have attempted to explain fundamental reasons why we are missionaries. Absolute truth exists in a world that increasingly disdains and dismisses absolutes. In a future day, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus the Christ absolutely is the only begotten Son of the Eternal Father. As members of His Church, we witness He lives and that His Church has been restored in its fullness in these latter days. The invitations we extend to you to learn about and test our message grow out of the positive effects the gospel of Jesus Christ has had in our lives. Sometimes we may be awkward or abrupt or even relentless in our attempts. Our simple desire is to share with you the truths that are of greatest worth to us. As one of the Lord's apostles, and with all of the energy of my soul, I bear witness of His divinity and reality, and I invite you to come and see. In the sacred name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. amen. Brothers and sisters, the decisions we make in this life greatly affect the course of our eternal life. This point was brought home some five years ago in a way that almost cost me dearly. We were traveling with family and friends in the south of Oman. We decided to relax on the beach along the coast of the Indian Ocean. Soon after our arrival, our 16-year-old daughter, Nellie, asked if she could swim out to what she thought was a sandbar. Noticing the choppy water, I told her that I would go first, thinking there might be dangerous currents. After swimming a short while, I called to my wife, asking if I was close to the sandbar. Her response was, You have gone way past it. Unbeknownst to me, I was trapped in a riptide. 
and was being pulled rapidly out to sea. I was unsure what to do. The only thing I could think of was to turn around and swim back toward shore. That was exactly the wrong thing to do. I felt helpless. Forces beyond my control were pulling me further out to sea. What made matters worse was that my wife, trusting my decision, had followed me. Brothers and sisters, I thought there was a high likelihood I would not survive, and that I, because of my decision, would also cause my wife's death. After great effort and what I believe was divine intervention, our feet somehow touched the sandy bottom, and we were able to walk safely back to our friends and daughter. There are many currents in this earthly life, some safe and others not. President Spencer W. Kimball taught that there are powerful forces in our own lives, much like the unseen currents of the ocean. These forces are real. We should never ignore them. Let me tell you about another current, a divine current, that has become a great blessing in my life. I am a convert to the Church. Prior to my conversion, my life's ambition was to ski, and accordingly I moved to Europe after high school to fulfill that desire. After several months of what seemed an ideal life, I felt I should leave. At the time, I did not understand the source of that feeling, but I chose to follow it. I ended up in Provo, Utah, with a few good friends who, like me, were members of a different faith. While in Provo, I met people who were living a much different life than me. I felt drawn to them, though I did not know why. Initially, I resisted these feelings. But I soon found a peace and comfort that I had never known. I began to embrace a different current, one that brought me to an understanding of a loving Heavenly Father and to His Son, Jesus Christ. I was baptized with my friends in 1972. This new current I chose to follow, the gospel of Jesus Christ, provided direction and meaning to my life. However, it was not without its challenges. Everything was new to me. At times I felt lost and confused. Questions and challenges were posed by both friends and family. I had a choice to make. Some of their questions created doubt and uncertainty. The choice was an important one. Where would I turn for answers? There were many who wanted to convince me of the error of my ways, riptides, determined to pull me away from the peaceful current that had become a wonderful source of happiness. I learned very clearly the principle, there is opposition in all things, and the importance of acting for myself and not forsaking my agency to others. I asked myself, why would I turn away from that which had brought me such great comfort? Is the Lord reminded Oliver Cowdery, did I not speak peace to your mind concerning the matter? My experience had been similar. Therefore, I turned with yet more commitment to a loving Heavenly Father, to the scriptures, and to trusted friends. Still, there are many questions I could not answer. How would I address the uncertainty they created? Rather than allow them to destroy the peace and happiness that had come into my life, I chose to set them aside for a season, trusting that in the Lord's time He would reveal all things. I found solace in a statement to the Prophet Joseph, Behold, ye are little children and you cannot bear all things now. You must grow in grace and in the knowledge of the truth. I chose not to forsake what I knew to be true 
by following an unknown and a questionable current, a potential riptide. As N. Eldon Tanner taught, I learned how much wiser and better it is for man to accept the simple truths of the gospel and to accept by faith those things which he cannot understand. Does this mean there is no room for honest inquiry? Ask the young boy who sought refuge in a sacred grove, wanting to know which of all the churches he should join. Hold the doctrine and covenants in your hand and know that much of what has been revealed in this inspired record has been the result of a humble search for truth. As Joseph found out, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and it shall be given him. By asking sincere questions and by seeking divine answers, we learn line upon line, precept upon precept, as we increase in knowledge and wisdom. The question is not, is there room for honest, sincere inquiry, but rather, where do I turn for truth when questions do arise? Will I be wise enough to hold fast to what I know to be true in spite of a few questions I might have? I testify there is a divine source, one who knows all things, the end from the beginning. All things are present before him. The scriptures testify that he does not walk in crooked paths, neither doth he vary from that which he has said. On this mortal journey, we must never think that our choices affect only us. Recently, a young man visited my home. He had a good spirit about him, but I sensed he was not fully participating in Church activity. He told me that he had been raised in a gospel-centered home until his father was unfaithful to his mother, resulting in their divorce and influencing all his siblings to question the Church and to fall away. My heart was heavy as I spoke with this young father who now, affected by his father's choices, was raising these precious spirits outside the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another man I know, a one-time faithful Church member, had questions regarding certain doctrine. Rather than ask Heavenly Father for answers, he chose to rely solely on secular sources for guidance. His heart turned in the wrong direction as he sought what seemed to be the honors of men. His pride may have been gratified, at least temporarily, but he was cut off from the powers of heaven. Rather than find truth, he lost his testimony and brought with him many family members. These two men became trapped in unseen riptides and brought many with them. Conversely, I think of LaRue and Louise Miller, my wife's parents, who, despite never having much by way of worldly possessions, chose to teach the pure doctrine of the restored gospel to their children and to live it every day of their lives. By so doing, they have blessed their posterity with the fruits of the gospel and the hope of eternal life. In their home, they established a pattern where the priesthood was respected, where love and harmony were abundant, and where the principles of the gospel directed their lives. Louise and LaRue, side by side, demonstrated what it meant to live lives patterned after Jesus Christ. Their children could clearly see which of life's currents would bring peace and happiness, and they chose accordingly. As President Kimball taught, if we can create a strong, steady current flowing toward our goal of a righteous life, 
we and our children may be carried forward in spite of the contrary winds of hardship, disappointment, and temptation. Do our choices matter? Do they affect only us? Have we set our course firmly in the eternal current of the restored gospel? From time to time, I have an image that haunts me. What if that September day, while relaxing on the beach of the Indian Ocean, I had said to my daughter, Nellie, yes, go ahead, swim out to the sandbar? Or if she, too, had followed my example and had been unable to swim back? What if I had to live life knowing that my example resulted in her being pulled by a riptide out to sea, never to return? Are the currents we choose to follow important? Do our examples matter? Heavenly Father has blessed us with the supernal gift of the Holy Ghost to guide our choices. He has promised us inspiration and revelation as we live worthy to receive such. I invite you to take advantage of this divine gift and examine your choices by asking yourself the question, Are my decisions firmly planted in the rich soil of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I invite you to make whatever adjustments are needed whether small or large, to ensure the eternal blessings of Heavenly Father's plan for you and those you love. I testify that Jesus Christ is our Savior and Redeemer. I testify that the covenants we make with Him are sacred and holy. We must never trifle with sacred things. May we remain ever faithful, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. In the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, we are given the opportunity and blessing to serve. For as long as I have been a member, I have served in many ways, like Brother Udine Falabella, father of Elder Enrique R. Falabella, used to say, quote, He who serves in something is good for something. He who serves in no thing is good for nothing. Close quote. These are words that we need to keep in our minds and in our hearts. As I have sought guidance throughout the course of my service, I have found much comfort in remembering that the Savior focuses on the individual and the family. His love and tender attention to the individual have taught me that He recognizes the, greatest, the great worth of each of Heavenly Father's children and that it is essential for us to ensure that each individual is ministered to and strengthened by the gospel of Jesus Christ. In the scriptures we read, Remember, the worth of souls is great in the sight of God. And if it so be that you should labor all your days and bring save it be one soul unto me, how great shall be your joy with him in the kingdom of my Father. Every soul is of great worth to God, for we are his children and we have the potential to become as he is. The love of Jesus Christ must be our guide if we are to become aware of the needs of those we can help in some way. The teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ show us the way. And that is how our personal ministry begins, discovering needs, then tending to them. As Sister Linda K. Burton, Relief Society General President, said, quote, 
First observe, then serve. Close quote. President Monson is a great example of this principle. In 2005, he was presiding over a priesthood leadership conference in Puerto Rico when he demonstrated how the Savior and his servants render service through personal ministry. At the conclusion of that wonderful meeting, President Monson began to greet all the priesthood leaders. Suddenly, he noticed that one of them was watching everything from afar, off by himself. President Monson walked away from the group toward that brother and spoke to him. With emotion, José Arzayas told him it was a miracle that he had approached him and an answer to the prayers that he and his wife Yolanda had offered before the meeting. He told President Monson that his daughter was very ill and that he had with him a letter from his wife that she wanted delivered to President Monson. Brother Zayas had told his wife that it would be impossible since President Monson would be too busy. He listened to the story and asked for the letter, which he read silently. Then he put it in his suit pocket and told Brother Zayas that he would take care of their request. In this way, that family was touched by our Lord Jesus Christ through his servant. I believe the words of the Savior in the parable of the Good Samaritan apply to us. Go and do thou likewise. In 1998, Hurricane Georges hit Puerto Rico, causing extensive damage. Sister Martinez, our five children, and I managed to survive that great storm and its hurricane-force winds by staying in our home. However, we went two weeks without running water or power. When our supply of water ran out, obtaining more was difficult. I will never forget the brethren who ministered to us by providing that precious liquid, nor will I forget the loving way the sisters also served us. Herman Colon came to our house with a large water container and a pickup truck. He told us he was doing it because, in his words, I know you have little children who need water. A couple of days later, brothers Munoz and Gomez loaded three large water tanks onto a flatbed truck. They showed up at our house unexpectedly and filled every available water bottle with drinking water, also inviting our neighbors to fill theirs. Our prayers were answered by their personal ministries. The faces of those three brethren reflected the love that Jesus Christ has for us and their service, in other words, their personal ministry, brought much more than drinking water into our lives. To every son or daughter of God, knowing that people are interested in and watching out for his or her welfare is essential. I testify to you that Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ know us individually and personally. For that reason, they provide what we need so we will have the opportunity to reach our divine potential. 
Along the road, they place people who will help us. Then, as we become instruments in their hands, we are able to serve and help those they show to us by revelation. In this way, the Lord Jesus Christ will reach all of Heavenly Father's children. The Good Shepherd will gather all His sheep. He will do so one by one as they make good use of their moral agency. After hearing the voice of His servants and receiving their ministrations, then they will recognize His voice and they will follow Him. Such personal ministry is integral to keeping our baptismal covenants. Likewise, being a good example of a disciple of Jesus Christ is our best letter of introduction to those with whom we can share His gospel. As we open our mouths and share the restored gospel, we become His under-shepherds, charged with nourishing the sheep of His pasture and the lambs of His fold. We become the weak and the simple fishers of men. Our service and personal ministry are not limited to the living on this earth. We can also do work for the dead, for those who live in the spirit world and who, during their mortal life, did not have the opportunity to receive the saving ordinances of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can also keep a journal and write our family histories to, to turn the hearts of the living toward the living, as well as the hearts of the living toward their ancestors. It is all about linking our family, generation by generation, in eternal bonds. As we do so, we become saviors on Mount Zion. We have the special opportunity to be instruments in His hands. We can be so in our marriages and families, with our friends and our fellow man. That is our personal ministry as true disciples of Jesus Christ. And before Him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come, ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was unhungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and ye gave me drink. I was a stranger, and ye took me in. Naked, and ye clothed me. I was sick, and ye visited me. I was in prison, and ye came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee unhungered, and fed thee? Or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? 
And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto one of the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. That we may do so is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As a young 12-year-old scout, I received a gift of a much-desired addition to my scouting equipment. It was a hatchet with a heavy leather cover. On the next overnight hike, we arrived in camp after dark, wet and cold from the heavy snow on the trail. All I could think about was building a big, roaring fire. I immediately went to work chopping a fallen tree with my new hatchet. As I chopped, I was frustrated because it didn't seem to be cutting very well. In my frustration, I worked harder. Disappointed, I returned to camp with only a few pieces of wood. By the light of someone else's fire, I discovered the problem. I hadn't taken the cover off the hatchet. (laughs) I can report, however, that the cover was chopped to shreds. The lesson, I became distracted with other things. As we work towards exaltation, we must work on all of the requirements and not become distracted by focusing on one or two requirements or other unrelated things. Seeking the kingdom of God leads to joy and happiness. If needed, we must be willing to change Frequent small corrections are less painful and disruptive than large course corrections. Not long ago, Sister Packer and I traveled to several foreign countries. We prepared our passports and other documents. We obtained the shots, medical exam, visas, and stamps. As we arrived, our documents were inspected, and when all the requirements were met, we were allowed to enter. Qualifying for exaltation is, in another, is like entering another country. We must each obtain our spiritual passport. We do not set the requirements, but individually we must meet all of the requirements. The plan of salvation contains all of the doctrines, laws, commandments, and ordinances needed to qualify for exaltation. Then, through the Atonement of Jesus Christ, all mankind may be saved. The Church helps but cannot do it for us. Qualifying for exaltation becomes a quest of a lifetime. Christ organized His Church. He has called fifteen men we sustain as prophets, seers, and revelators to guide the Church and to teach the people. The First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles are of equal power and authority with the Senior Apostle designated as the President of the Church. The Seventy are called to assist. The leaders did not set the requirements for exaltation. God did. These leaders are called to teach, expound, exhort, and even warn so that we stay on course. As explained in Handbook of Instructions, in fulfilling its purpose to help individuals and families qualify for exaltation, the Church focuses on divinely appointed responsibilities. 
These include helping members live the gospel of Jesus Christ, gathering Israel through missionary work, caring for the poor and the needy, and enabling the salvation for the dead by building temples and performing vicarious ordinances. These four focuses and all other laws, commandments, and ordinances are required and not optional. Through the Atonement of Jesus Christ and by doing each of these, we are adding required stamps to our spiritual passports. During this conference, we are being taught about changes that will help us all be better prepared. The family is the center of the plan of salvation and perhaps why it is also called the great plan of happiness. President Packer has said the ultimate end of all activity in the Church is that a a man and his wife and their children can be happy at home. President Spencer W. Kimball said, Our success individually and as a Church will largely be determined by how faithfully we focus on living the gospel in the home. Temple and family history work is part of living the gospel at home. It should be more a family activity, far more than a church activity. There has been renewed emphasis on family history and temple work by the First Presidency and the Quorum of the Twelve. Your response to this emphasis will increase your individual and family joy and happiness. The Doctrine and Covenants, we read, The great day of the Lord is at hand. Let us, therefore, as a Church and as a people, and as Latter-day Saints, offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness, and let us present in His holy temple a book containing the record of the dead which shall be worthy of all acceptation. This book will be prepared using the records of names and ordinances in the Church's Family Tree database. I am checking and adding records to this database because I want the names of all those I love to be in the book. Don't you? The Doctrine and Covenants, section 128, says, For we without our ancestors cannot be made perfect, neither can they without us be made perfect. Family history is more than genealogy, rules, names, dates, and places. It is more than a focus on the past. Family history also includes the present as we create our own history. It includes the future as we shape future history through our descendants. A young mother, for example, sharing her family stories and pictures with her children is doing family history work. Like partaking of the sacrament, attending meetings, reading the scriptures, and personal prayer, family history and temple work should be a part of our personal worship. The response of our youth and others to prophetic invitations has been inspiring and proves this work can and should be done by all members at any age. As Elder Quinton L. Cook explained, we now have the doctrine, the temples, and the technology. Doing the work now is much easier 
and limited only by the number of members who make this a priority. The work still takes time and sacrifice, but all can do it and with relative ease compared to just a few years ago. To assist members, the Church has gathered records and provided tools so that much of the work can be done in our own homes or in the ward buildings and the temple. Most obstacles have been removed. Whatever your past perceptions, it is different now. However, there is one obstacle the Church cannot remove. It is an individual's hesitation to do the work. All it requires is a decision and a little effort. It doesn't require a large block of time. Just a little time on a consistent basis will yield the joy of the work. Make the decision to take a step, to learn, to, and to ask others to help you. They will. The names you find and take to the temple will become the records for the book. Even with the dramatic increase in member participation, we find that relatively few members of the Church are regularly involved in finding and doing temple ordinances for their families. This calls for a change in our priorities. Don't fight the change. Embrace it. Change is part of the great plan of happiness. This work needs to be done not for the benefit of the Church, but for our dead and for ourselves. We and our deceased ancestors need the stamps in our spiritual passports. The welding together of our families across generations could only occur in the temples through the sealing ordinances. The steps are simple. Just find a name, take it to the temple. Over time, you'll be able to help others do it also. With few exceptions, everyone, everyone can do it. There are tangible blessings which attend this work. Many parents and leaders are concerned about the current world conditions and the impact on families and youth. Elder Bednar has promised, I invite the young people of the Church to learn about and experience the spirit of Elijah. I promise that you will be protected against the intensifying influence of the adversary. As you participate and love this holy work, you will be safeguarded in your youth and throughout your lives. Brothers and sisters, it's time to take the cover off our hatchets and go to work. We must not sacrifice our exaltation or that of our families for less important interests. This is the work of God to be done by members and non-members alike, young and old, male and female. I close quoting the first verse of hymn 324, changing one word. Rise up, O saints of God, have done with lesser things. Give heart and soul and mind and strength to serve the King of kings. Jesus Christ is the King. I testify of him in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. What a privilege to be a part of this historic moment. 
when general conference speakers may speak in their native language. The last time I spoke, I was worried about my accent in English. Now, I worry about the speed of my Portuguese. I don't want to speak more quickly than the subtitles. We all experience moments of great decision in our lives. Should I pursue this career or that one? Should I serve a mission? Is this the right person to marry? Sometimes a small change in the direction of our lives can have significant future consequences. President Uchtdorf has said, quote, Through years of serving the Lord, I have learned that the difference between happiness and misery in individuals, in marriages, and families often comes down to an error of only a few degrees. How can we avoid these small errors in calculation? I will use a personal experience to illustrate my message. At the end of the 1980s, our young family, my wife Monica, two of our four children and me, lived in Sao Paulo, Brazil. I worked for a good company. I'd finished my university studies and had recently been released as bishop of our ward. Life was good, and everything seemed to be as it should be, until one day an old friend came to visit. Before leaving, he made a comment and asked a question that unsettled my convictions. Carlos, everything seems to be going well for you, your family, your career, and your service in the church, but if you continue to live as you are living, Will the blessings promised in your patriarchal blessing be fulfilled? I had never thought about my patriarchal blessing in this way. I read it from time to time, but never with the intent of looking toward the blessings promised in the future and evaluating how I was living in the present. After his visit, I thought about my patriarchal blessing, wondering, if we continue to live as we are living, will the promised blessings be fulfilled? After some pondering, I felt some changes were necessary, particularly in relation to my education and profession. It was not a decision between what was right and what was wrong, but between what was good and what was better, as Elder Oaks taught, as Quote, As we consider various choices, we should remember that it is not enough that something is good. Other choices are better, and still others are best. Close quote. How then can we ensure that we are making the best decision? Here are some principles that I have learned. Principle number one. We need to consider our options with the end in mind making decisions that can impact our lives and those we love without having the broader vision of their consequences can bring some risks. However, if we project the possible consequences of these decisions into the future, we can see more clearly the best path to take in the present. Understanding who we are, why we are here, and what the Lord expects from us in this life will help give us the broader vision we need. 
We can find examples in the scriptures in which having a broader vision gave clarity regarding which path to take. Moses spoke with the Lord face to face, learned about the plan of salvation, and thereby better understood his role as the prophet of the gathering of Israel. And God spake unto Moses, saying, Behold, I am the Lord God Almighty, and I will show thee the workmanship of mine hands, and I have a work for thee, Moses, my son. With this understanding, Moses was able to endure many years of tribulation in the desert and lead Israel back to its home. Lehi, the great prophet of the Book of Mormon, dreamed a dream and in his vision learned of his mission to lead his family to a promised land. And it came to pass that the Lord commanded my father, even in a dream, that he should take his family and depart into the wilderness. And he left his house and the land of his inheritance and his gold and his silver and his precious things. Lehi remained faithful to this vision despite the difficulties of travel and leaving behind a comfortable life in Jerusalem. The prophet Joseph Smith is another great example. Through many revelations, beginning with the first vision, he was able to complete his mission of restoring all things. And what about us? What does the Lord expect from each one of us? We do not need to see an angel to obtain understanding. We have the scriptures, the temple, living prophets, our patriarchal blessings, inspired leaders, and above all, the right to receive personal revelation to guide our decisions. Principle number two. We need to be prepared for the challenges that will come. The best paths in life rarely, are rarely the easiest. Often, it is exactly the opposite. We can look to the examples of the prophets I have just mentioned. Moses, Lehi, and Joseph Smith did not have easy journeys despite making correct decisions. Are we willing to pay the price for our decisions? Are we prepared to leave our comfort zones to reach a better place? Returning to the experience with my patriarchal blessing, I came to the conclusion that I should seek additional education and apply for a scholarship from an American university. If I were selected, I would have to leave my job, sell everything we had, and come to live in the United States as a scholarship student for two years. English and placement tests became the first challenges to be overcome. It took three long years of preparation, many no's, and some maybes, before I was accepted at a university. I still remember the telephone call I received at the end of the third year from the person responsible for scholarships. He said, Carlos, I have some good news and some bad news. The good news is that you are among the three finalists this year, and there was only one opening at that time. The bad news is that the other two candidates are sons of VIPs. And then there's you. I quickly responded, and I, I am a son of God. Happily, earthly parentage was not a deciding factor, and I was accepted that year. We are children of Almighty God. He is our Father. He loves us. 
And he has a plan for us. We are not here in this life just to waste our time, grow old and die. God wants us to grow and achieve our potential. In the words of President Monson, quote, Each of you, single or married, regardless of age, has the opportunity to learn and to grow. Expand your knowledge, both intellectual and spiritual, to the full stature of your divine potential. Close quote. Principle number three. We need to share this vision with the people we love. Lehi made more than a few attempts to help Laman and Lemuel understand the importance of the change they were making. The fact that they did not share their father's vision caused them to murmur during the journey. Nephi, on the other hand, sought the Lord in order to see what his father had seen. And it came to pass that after I, Nephi, having heard all the words of my father concerning the things which he saw in a vision, I was desirous also that I might see and hear and know of these things by the power of the Holy Ghost. With this vision, Nephi was able not only to overcome the challenges of the journey, but also to lead his family when it became necessary. When we decide to take a certain path, the people we love will be affected, and some will even share with us the results of this choice. Ideally, they will see what we see and share our convictions. This is not always possible, but when it occurs, the journey is much easier. In the personal experience I have illustrated, I needed the support of my wife. The children were still young and did not have much of a say, but my wife's support was essential. I remember that at first, Monica and I needed to carefully discuss the change in plans until she felt comfortable and became committed. This shared vision caused her not only to support the change, but also to become an essential part in its success. Essential for its success. I know that the Lord has a plan for us. He knows us. He knows what is best for us. Just because things are going well does not mean that we should not from time to time consider whether there might be something better. If we continue to live as we are living, will the promised blessings be fulfilled? God lives. He is our Father. The Savior Jesus Christ lives. And I know that through His atoning sacrifice, we can find the strength to overcome our daily challenges. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. When Adam and Eve were in the Garden of Eden, all that they needed for daily sustenance was abundantly given to them. They had no difficulties, challenges, or pain. Because they had never experienced hard times, they did not know they could be happy. They had never felt turmoil, so they could not feel peace. Eventually, Adam and Eve transgressed the command to not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. By so doing, they were no longer in a state of innocence. They began to experience principles of opposition. They began to encounter sickness that weakened their health. 
they began to see, feel sadness as well as joy. Through Adam and Eve's partaking of the forbidden fruit, knowledge of good and evil was introduced into the world. Their choice made it possible for each of us to come to this earth and be tried and tested. We are blessed with agency, which is our ability to make decisions and to become accountable for those decisions. The fall made possible in our lives feelings of both happiness and sadness. We are able to understand peace because we feel turmoil. Our Father in Heaven knew this would happen to us. It's all part of His perfect plan of happiness. He prepared a way through the life of His perfectly obedient Son, Jesus Christ, our Savior, for His atonement to overcome every difficulty that we may experience in mortality. We live in trying times. I need not list all of the sources of evil in the world. It is not necessary to describe all the possible challenges and heartaches that are a part of mortality. Each of us is immediately aware, intimately aware, of our own struggles with temptation, pain, and sadness. We were taught in the pre-mortal world that our purpose in coming here is to be tested, tried, and stretched. We knew we would face the evils of the adversary. Sometimes we may feel more aware of the negative things of mortality than we are of the positive. The prophet Levi taught, Lehi taught, For it must be that there is an opposition in all things. Despite all of the negative challenges we have in life, we must take time to actively exercise our faith. Such exercise invites the positive, faith-filled power of the Atonement of Jesus Christ into our lives. Our Father in Heaven has given us tools to help us come unto Christ and exercise faith in His Atonement. When these tools become fundamental habits, they provide the easiest way to find peace in the challenges of mortality. Today I have chosen to discuss four of these tools. As I speak, Consider evaluating your personal use of each tool. Then, seek the guidance of the Lord to determine how you could make better use of each one of them. The first tool is prayer. Choose to converse with your Father in Heaven often. Make time every day to share your thoughts and feelings with him. Tell him everything that concerns you. He is interested in the most important as well as the most mundane facets of your life. 
share with him your full range of feelings and experiences because he respects your agency. Father in heaven will never force you to pray to him. But as you exercise that agency and include him in every aspect of your daily life, your heart will begin to feel peace, buoyant peace. That peace will focus an eternal light on your struggles. It will help you to manage those challenges from an eternal perspective. Parents, safeguard your children by arming them morning and night with the power of family prayer. Children are bombarded every day with the evils of lust, greed, pride, and a host of other sinful behaviors. Protect your children from negative worldly influence by fortifying them with the powerful blessings that result from family prayer. Family prayer should be a non-negotiable priority in your daily life. The second tool is to study the Word of God in the scriptures and the words of the living prophets. We talk to God in prayer. He most often communicates back to us through his written word. To know what the voice of the divine sounds and feels like, read his words. Study the scriptures and ponder them. Makes him an integral part of everyday life. If you want your children to recognize, understand, and act on the promptings of the Spirit, you must study the scriptures with them. Oh, don't yield to Satan's lie that you don't have time to study the scriptures. Choose to take time to study them. Feasting on the Word of God each day is more important than sleep, schoolwork, television shows, video games, social media. You may need to reorganize your priorities to provide time for the study of the Word of God. If so, do it. There are many prophetic promises of the blessings of daily studying the scriptures. I add my voice with this promise. As you dedicate time every day personally with your family to study God's word, peace will prevail in your life. That won't come from the outside world. Peace won't come from the outside world. It will come from within your home, within your family, from within your own heart. It will be a gift of the Spirit. It will radiate out to you to influence others in the world around you you will be doing something 
very significant threat to the cumulative peace in the world. I do not declare that your life will cease to have challenges. Remember when Adam and Eve were in the garden, they were free from challenges, yet they were unable to experience happiness, joy, and peace. Challenges are an important part of mortality. Through daily, consistent scripture study, you will find peace in the turmoil around you and strength to resist temptations. You will develop strong faith in the grace of God and know that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all will be made right according to God's timing. While you are working to strengthen your family and cultivate peace, remember this third tool, weekly family home evening. Be cautious not to make your family home evening just an afterthought of a busy day. Decide that on Monday night, your family will be together at home for the evening. Do not let employment demands, sports, extracurricular activities, homework, or anything else become more important than that time you spend together at home <coughs> with your family. The structure of your evening is not as important as the time invested. The gospel should be taught both formally and informally. Make it a meaningful experience for each member of the family. Family home evening is a precious time to bear testimony in a safe environment, to learn teaching, planning, and organizational skills, to strengthen family bonds, to develop family traditions, to talk to each other, and more importantly, to have a marvelous time together. At last, in last April's conference, Sister Linda S. Reeve boldly declared, I must testify of the blessings of daily scripture study and prayer and weekly family home evening. These are the very practices that help take away stress, give direction to our lives, and add protection to our homes. Sister Reeves is a very wise woman. I strongly urge you to earn your own testimony of these three crucial habits. The fourth tool is to go to the temple. We all know there is no more peaceful place on this earth than in the temples of God. If you don't have a temple, recommend qualified to get one. When you have recommended, use it often. Schedule a regular time to be in the temple. Don't let anyone or anything prevent you from being there. While you're in the temple, listen to the words of the ordinances. Ponder them. Pray about them. And seek to understand their meaning. 
The temple is one of the best places to come to understand the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Seek him there. Oh, remember that many blessings, many more blessings come from providing your own family names in the temple. These four tools are fundamental habits for securing your life in the power of the atonement of Jesus Christ. Remember, our Savior is the Prince of Peace. Peace in this mortal life comes from his atoning sacrifice. When we are consistently praying morning and night, studying our scriptures daily, having weekly family home evening, and attending the temple regularly, we are actively responding in his invitation to come unto him. The more we develop these habits, the more anxious is Satan to harm us, but the less ability to do so. Through the use of these tools, we exercise our agency to accept the full gifts of his atoning sacrifice. I'm not suggesting that all of life's struggles will disappear as we do these things. We came to mortal life precisely to grow from trials and testings. Challenges help us become more like our Father in heaven, and the atonement of Jesus Christ makes it possible to endure those challenges. I testify that as we actively come into him, we can endure every temptation, every heartache, every challenge we face in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.